Hey friends, Catlaw Hedquist here with a reminder that locally owned and artist operated bizbooks.net is still your best source for plays, acting books, scene books, teacher resources, and much, much more. And as you, like we, are clearly fans of Sabrina and YVR Screen Scene, we want to offer you 15% off your next purchase with the coupon code SCREENSCENE23. So come check us out at bizbooks.net, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on social to learn what's new. And if you're in the Vancouver area, Watch out for one of our pop-up shops throughout the year to come say hello and shop in person. Remember, Screen Scene 23 promo code is only available at bizbooks.net for a limited time. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain on the Vancouver film and television industry and celebrate its beating heart, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Ferminger. Today, I am delighted to welcome Dr. Jules Arita Kustachin back, back to the YVR Screen Scene podcast, this time to talk about her deeply personal documentary, Wapaki, Tomorrow. We get a sense as to just how deeply personal Wapaki will be in its first 90 seconds. We see Jules stepping into the green scene studio while she'll film her interviews. We hear her speaking to the crew about how this film is dedicated to her late brother, Stevie, that there is a counselor on call, that each day will begin with prayers for the children who never made it home and for the survivor warriors. Jules then thanks the crew for sharing this journey with her. And then... She takes all of us on a journey to and through some profound and stirring questions and into the suffering of residential school survivors and their families. For generations, the suffering of residential school survivors has radiated outward, impacting Indigenous families and communities. Children, parents, and grandparents have contended with the unspoken trauma manifested in the lingering effects of colonialism, addiction, emotional abuse, and broken relationships. In her efforts to help the children of survivors, including herself and her family, Jules makes the difficult decision to step in front of the camera and participate in the circle of truth. She is joined in this courageous act of solidarity by members of her immediate family, including her mother, Rita, and one of her sons, Asavak, as well as an array of voices from indigenous communities across Turtle Island. Moving beyond burying intergenerational trauma, Wapiki Tomorrow is an invitation to unravel the tangled threads of silence, unite in collective freedom and power, and explore what intergenerational healing, intergenerational healing looks and feels like. The film screens at the 2023 Vancouver International Film Festival, and we have Dr. Jules Arita Kustachin on the line to speak with us all about it. Jules Kostachin, welcome back to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Hi, thank you. (laughs) How difficult was it to step in front of the camera that first day? 
Um, I think it's something I've been waiting to do for a very long time. A lot of my previous work, I did an installation. I did um, a couple of other films about residential school. So I feel like I was at a place in my life where I felt it was necessary to hear from the next generation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you have, you, you feel like you're full, do you know what I mean? Then you just have to kind of, you know, start expressing your feelings and stuff. And I think that's where I was like, it kind of started off as this academic collective that just never um, got off the ground because I was having a, like I was struggling trying to find people to kind of speak to their experience because they weren't you know ready yet. So I feel like a, this film is a testament or um, a way for the next generation to speak their truth. So I feel like we were just all kind of ready, waiting for the opportunity. Of course, it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, sharing with the world like you know, your, your baggage, your emotional baggage, obviously, you know, cause you're vulnerable. It's personal. It's not just something that, you know, it's something that's actually happening to you or has happened to you. So it's a little hard to kind of share that truth in a public forum, but mm -hmm. I felt ready. I felt it was necessary and it was timely. So when I was in university, I heard this term called uh, futurity about hope and, um, you know, living in the present, but also dreaming for a positive tomorrow, if that makes sense. So I feel like this film is kind of opening that doorway or creating a pathway to speak about what our future looks like. And in order to do so, you have to acknowledge your own lived experience, like you have to put it out there. And I feel like um, that's what this film does. It just kind of puts it all out there. And then, you know, once you reveal or you share your truth, then you're able to kind of move forward and not forget. I don't want to say forget or, um, you know, of course, everyone's journey is, is so different. But I feel like tomorrow just means that we can see that glimpse of hope mm. horizon. Um, yeah. And I, I, I feel like with my mom in particular, because she's a survivor herself, she lives a lot in the past. Mm. Like that's her reality, right? And I, I I know that she's excited about having her grandchildren around and what tomorrow may bring and the next generation. But I think that's what trauma does. It kind of leaves you in that place of when it happened and that place of sorrow. So I feel like if we're going to break this cycle, we need to have a tomorrow. We need to have hope. We need to have dreams. Um, and in order to do so, you have to talk about your pain. So it was incredible watching the film to hear those words intergenerational healing. I don't even think I've I've heard that combination of words before. You know, I sp spend a lot of time in, in, you know, the violent space, the trauma space, hearing a lot about intergenerational trauma and breaking the cycle, but intergenerational healing, it's, it was like a, one of those beautiful moments of, yes. Can you please ex talk a bit more about what that term means and how you feel that it's represented in your film? Yeah. I feel like Asavak, my oldest son is kind of what that means for me is he represents tomorrow and he um, is a generation removed from residential school. Um, I'm, you know, was raised by a survivor. His grandmother went to school. His, his great grandma, uh, great grandfather went to residential school. So um, 
when I think about intergenerational healing, I think that means allowing my generation to have the platform to speak to what it was like being raised by them. Mm. And it's not always easy. And of course, we don't want to re-victimize anyone, but there's accountability in that as well, right? Like you, it, it's hard though, because I find, I don't know if you've, you probably heard this before though, and you see authors and they rewrite or they revise things that they've written because people have passed on. So they're able, they feel that freedom to kind of speak their truth because you almost have to tiptoe sometimes around it because you don't want to hurt anyone. But then what does that do to us? What does that do to our spirit when we have to kind of censor ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand like why we do it because we don't want to, we don't want to hurt people, but I don't know, it, intergenerational healing is you have, like, you know how when you go to therapy or something, and then when you articulate something, it's almost like this huge weight is lifted off your shoulders, mm-hmm. right? That's intergenerational healing is that residential school, what it has done is that it's just, you know, the the weight of that trauma has just been passed on generation to generation and it's heavy, you know, and it just, it's just this darkness, it's this pain and it's like, and it's not even my trauma, (laughs) right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, it, it like, so who am I without that trauma? Like, who is Jules? I don't know, you know, because it's been a part of my life since childhood. And then in a way, it's also been part of my children's lives, you know, I mean, so intergenerational healing is kind of lifting that weight. Like, how do we do that? We do that by talking about what lays in front of us or or about hope or about futurity, I think. Um, yeah, I don't mm. know if that makes any sense, but I just feel like that's, it's just about lifting that weight. Abs- oh, absolutely. It absolutely makes sense. Uh, you mentioned your son, and I, I've said this on the podcast before. I'm such a fan of, of his work as well. He's a remarkable actor. Uh, and it was very moving to hear him speak about anger and purposeful anger. And it, it I've been sitting with, since I watched the film, with the role that anger it can actually play in in healing all manner of healing you know what role do you feel that it that it can and that it should play in intergenerational healing I, I feel that you have to I mean it's um it's just one of those things that you go through you know when you're grieving anger is one of those stages right and I think it's healthy to be angry of course because that means that we care and love ourselves that we're like this is not fair I've been robbed of um, a good childhood. I've been robbed of a healthy life because of this stupid experience from colonialism. And, you know, and I think that anger is valid. It's what you do with the anger, I think that matters, right? So for my, my, my son to state that, it just felt also when I was hearing that on the receiving end, it felt good because then it was like, oh, okay, so he feels that too okay, so I'm normal. I'm, I mean, I'm feeling it. And then, you know, when other people speak their truth and they're talking about their anger, I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. Hmm. We're all in this together kind of thing. It's a collective experience. And I, again, I just think it's what you do with that anger, right? Like, how do you process it? How do you let it go? What do you do for yourself? Do you go for a walk? Do you go swimming? Do you exercise? Do you create art? Do you write? Yeah, do you make a documentary? <laughs> <laughs> do you make a documentary or film work? So it's what you do with it, right? And to hear my son speak that 
Like I know that he's also impacted, which also hurts a little bit too, because you do so much to protect your kids, right? Like we all have our own stuff that we're dealing with. And when you're a parent, you don't want them to experience those negative things. You want them to have a good life. You want that next generation to soar and to feel that he's also carrying that weight just means that there's more work to be done. You had an onset counselor. You referred to the onset counselor at the beginning of the film. And then we actually, you know, we get to, to meet them by the end of the film. Tell me about the role of, of this counselor. And, you know, in, in a produ production such as this, where people are sitting and sharing their truth, you know, um, the ways that they, that they are can be of service to people involved in the production. I feel like, you know, I feel like film is kind of, well, Indigenous cinema is moving in this really cool direction where we're also incorporating a lot of our protocols and process, right? Mm -hmm. Speaking to really hardcore issues that, um, you know, you can, you can trigger yourself, right, when you speak this truth. And if there's nobody there to kind of, you know, to um, speak to afterwards, that could be a dangerous situation for some, right? Because you need to be able to unpack or debrief you know like i don't want to bring people into the studio and be like hey tell me you know about all your pain okay thank you very much goodbye <laughs> and then you're just leaving people kind of like with this open wound you know and um our counselor she's amazing i mean she works with residential school survivors and their children so she's specialized in this intergenerational trauma um so having her on site or having her available it was kind of a safety thing and a protocol thing for us in terms of how we go about talking about these stories. Um, I think it can be, well, some I've worked in the social service sector for many years, and I know that you have to be very careful. You can't, you know, and film is like that. You're bringing people in to talk about something that's really serious and painful. I just think you don't want to leave them high and dry, right? Yeah. Okay, here's your medicine. Bye-bye. <laughs> you know, like it just feels so unfair to do that to someone. Um, and I think for them, they just felt like, okay, good. So if I go home and I'm triggered or something happens when I go home, I'm okay now, but at least they have someone to reach out to who's on call. You know, I, I, I feel that that made me feel a little bit better as well as a, you know, someone as the director and writer. So um, I just, I just feel like if we're going to do that in any kind of, you know, film, um, you know, any documentary that kind of speaks to really difficult content. I think it's necessary for all producers to kind of think about that. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to further exploit people, right? Like, yeah, you got a great film, but to what extent? Yeah. The interviews took place on a set that was customized for whoever you were speaking with. Like when you stepped in front of the camera, you had like red Converse kicks, like right over your shoulder. Tell me thought that went into, you know, creating and dressing the sets and like, what were some of your favorite items, you know, associated with, you know, your mom, your son, Joseph and Maisie? Yolanda was our set designer and she had uh, spent a bit of time with each guest and talking about what was important to them and what kind of items uh, that they wanted on their own personalized set. So that was also an artistic process and also a healing process too, for her. Um, She's an Indigenous designer and amazing. So, uh, yeah, like for me, I love my Converse and I like roller skating, you know, like and I have my grandmother's sewing machine behind me, like and we had the the color orange as a theme throughout as well with the chair. 
I don't know. I just felt like that was something that was necessary. And I mean, we could have just had like, you know, a chair and the backdrop and just leave it as that. But we didn't. We really wanted to personalize the space to make sure that everybody felt safe, somewhat safe. I don't think you can ever be completely safe in any situation, but uh, my job, I think, was to make sure that they felt like it was okay to share. Hmm. And when you have familiar things around you, I think that makes you feel a little bit more grounded. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that. And I I just thought it was kind of cool too. I was like, wow, this is so awesome. We had the green screen and um, everybody had their own personalized set and there was a lot of thought that went into it. So um, yeah, I'm glad that you... uh, that you you pointed that out because I think that was a part of an important part of our production yeah 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 I mean your the your film did a great job of like of bringing us into the production you know like it from and like even the way that you know like the the backgrounds you know kind of move in and out and it was I don't know like I like I I'm wondering because this kind of leads very nicely into the next question because I am such a fan of of your work to date. And I think the last time you were on, we spoke about your narrative feature film. How how do you think work in that realm, you know, as a narrative filmmaker impacted the work that you did in this documentary? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm really focused on protocol and process. That was my PhD around Indigenous cinema or our, you know, Indigenous documentary and practice is how do we do things differently? And how can other people kind of learn from our protocol in terms of working with Indigenous content? Um, I, I implement everything that I've, you know, researched and and learned from my own grandparents and stuff like that in my work. Because I feel I'm one of those people who are very sensitive. So if I feel like I'm not doing something right, it'll bother me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And I, I don't know. I, it's just it's just who I am. Like I want to do things the right way. I want to make sure that people, um, when they're working with me, understand that they're in this collective space. It's not about mm-hmm. just individual like everybody matters and um in terms of narrative and documentary I feel like there's so there's so many um it's I have a lot of transferable skills right because in documentary you have to be quick on your feet you've got to be flexible you've got to be open you got to kind of discover what the story is as you go and then in narrative you have the script and it's a little bit more um I don't know what the word is, but you, you know what's coming next. Predictable, even though on set everything can go wrong and it does. Um, but I feel like the two in terms of the storytelling practice and Indigenous content, you still have to implement a lot of the protocols. Mm. You know, when we did um, the second film, Angela's Shadow, which we're still in post with, the one after Broken Angel, we started each day with a smudge. We brought everybody in circle. We acknowledged everybody that was there as crew. If you're a PA or the DP, you know, everybody was like contributing to the storytelling practice. And we made sure everybody felt that they were appreciated. Mm -hmm. And the same thing goes, I think, with this documentary. It was a smaller team, but every morning we met, you know, and and smudged and prayed. And yeah, it was just like, I don't know, just I guess that's that's the one thing that I do in both practices, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I'm going to continue doing that because I feel like um, when I was on Angela's Shadow on set, I think a lot of the crew were like, wow, this is so great. I want to work on independent film more often <laughs> because they were all up like, was it the strike, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh my God, I feel so good on this set. Like starting with prayer, having circle, like and having the smudge available. I don't know. It just, 
I think it made a difference in everybody's lives, yeah. you know, in a way. So yeah, that's that's my way of doing film. <laughs> How has the process of making this film impacted you, be it your relationship to to intergenerational trauma? Like you know, it's deeply personal. You you bring us into the circle with your with your family, you know, we're changed by it. How has it changed you? Good question. I don't know. I I'm. I mean, it's. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel with the premiere because I'm going to be watching it with a lot of people, right? So, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. Like mm -hmm. I feel a little bit nervous watching it with my mom too. I don't know. It's. I just feel like it's not something that I could step away from because it's my face. <laughs> it's my story. It's my family. I don't know. It's. Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that yet because I don't know what the response is going to be. Like, is it going to be positive? Are people, is it going to be reflective? Like, are people going to walk away going, what did I just watch? Like, does it take time to process? Is it anything, like, is there anything in the film that's different than the, what they've seen before, you know? Like, because mm -hmm. I know everything's super saturated right now about the residential school experience. There's a lot of work, scholarship, films. Like, there's a lot of content out there now as opposed to like 10 years ago. And here's another film about residential school. So are people, are settler Canadians kind of tired of hearing about it? Like, I don't know. I don't know what the response is going to be. Like, hmm. but I feel like my take is the next generation, like trying to bring in that bit of hope that we have within us. So I, 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 I'm not sure. Like, we'll see after the premiere hmm. <laughs> it goes really well. And I don't know. I'm a little nervous. This is does it, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, the settler, settler Canadians, what, what conversations do you think that settler Canadians need to have about residential schools, about the genocide that we're not having? And this is a two-part question. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> my patented massive two-part question. How are these conversations around truth and reconciliation that settlers are or are not having impacting the intergenerational healing of indigenous people like should it matter what settler canadians feel or think about anything you know with like as far as the healing process goes that's a good question i feel like what impedes us is the lack of respect about our lived experience or some the naysayers are like oh well it wasn't that bad or you know, like, you know, you get a lot of, there's a lot of ignorance out there. I mean, I know that the educational system has done a lot of work and they're really progressive about speaking about residential school. I'm sure your, your daughter is probably oh, yeah. heard about it within the school system and it's part of the curriculum. Um, so there's been a lot of work, especially here in BC, you know. Um, I feel that if there's anyone that doesn't necessarily know about it, I think that's a bit strange <laughs> because I do know that there's a lot of film and scholarship out there right now. Um, I, I, it's not that like, I think with me, I always have an indigenous audi audience in mind. Like for me, I'm always thinking, okay, this is for my community. So I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining when people can do that work themselves. Like I'm not here for the emotional labor or to, you know, put my trauma on the line and be like, here you go. Like take this. It's, it's, this is more of a statement or a prayer, I feel like. like. It feels like this film is just, this is what it is. Here's our truth. There might not be an answer and that's okay, but this is where we are today. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. 
um, if you're confused by something or if we have the premiere and there's people scratching their heads, they'll be like, do the work. It's not my job to educate you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not an indigenous problem. This is a like this is an impact of colonization. So why are we the traumatized educating you? <laughs> so I don't know. I just feel like uh, if if there's work that needs to be done, that's that onus is on them, not on us. I'm just giving. I'm just creating a platform or offering a pathway to discussion or you know critical discussion or something. I don't know. I feel like I hope that's what the film does. Is just you know if people have questions. I just feel like I don't want to be on the Q and A having to educate. You know. Because that sometimes happens at film festivals. There's always one question. It's always the last question that throws everybody off, right? <laughs> and you're like, wow, that is so racist. Wow. <laughs> you're like a tear in headlights. You're like, where have you been living? Like, do you not have a clue? Oh, and that happens wow. at every film festival at a Q&A, right? It's always that one question. And you're just like, and I'm not quick like that. Sometimes at the process, I'll have the best answer the next day. <laughs> but not in the moment and then there's some people who are really quick on their feet that are like bang you know and they respond really quick and me I'm just like oh hmm before I let you go today I am dying to hear more about your the second uh narrative feature the second in the trilogy right what what can you so you're saying it's in post what else can you tell us about it those of us who are waiting with bated breath you're i mean we're gonna see you in the film right yeah so angela's shadow is the second in the trilogy broken angel was the first and this is angel's great 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 grandmother uh angela um and she returns home uh to rediscover who she is as an indigenous woman um it's a ghost story It's a beautiful story about this underground community of women, the matriarchs who were able to sustain culture and ceremony from going, you know, going into hiding. I don't know. It's so layered. There's so much story in this. And it's based on a novel that I never published. um, And I was being mentored by the late Lee Miracle, the novelist. And um, I don't know, it's just a special film. We shot in 13 days, not 12. So Wow, a whole extra day. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so used to working so fast now. Like, I'm like, can you imagine if you gave me more time? Or can you imagine if I had the time to be way more creative on set and not be rushed, you know? And, but again, we had like, I think when you start your day with ceremony, it makes a huge difference. Like everybody just, you know, they're on the same page. There's something spiritual that happens where everybody feels appreciated and they just kind of let go of stuff and they're present. And that's what, you know, our medicines do. That's what smudging does. It keeps us like grounded. Mm-hmm. And then we get our work done. Like, I don't even know how we got all, we're the only thing we lost one scene. That's it. Out of 13 days, like we couldn't shoot one scene and it didn't even matter anyways in the end. But right now we're just doing VFX, sound design and music. So amazing. Okay, well. Jules will be back in the future to talk to us about the second film and then the third film, because, you know, we're completionists. We want to hear, we want to we want the whole thing. Dr. Jules Arita Gustachin, where can people find you and stay up to date with what you're working on? Because there's a lot. Yes. Um, Instagram. Uh, I just met my friend from Australia. She called it later gram because she's always late to post. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, so Insta or later Graham. Um, yeah, and on my website, uh, com, which I really need to update, I believe. <laughs> so usually Instagram is really, you know, I think the best place where I kind of post stuff. I like Instagram now. I'm not so much on Facebook anymore, but yeah, I, I don't know. I And then I guess there's a lot of press for Wapake right now as well. And we'll hear more about, you know, what's happening. And then we'll have our publicist on Angela Shadow once we're closer to finishing the film. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, I'm in production with my third scripted uh, next summer. Wow. It is beautiful. And that's about a little girl who falls in love with a ghost. Wow. <laughs> Not little. Love- teenager. Yeah. That's a little girl. <laughs> you <laughs> really do girl. love a ghost story. I remember that from our first conversation. Well, listeners, Wapakate tomorrow screens at the 2023 Vancouver International Film Festival on October 1st and October 4th. And you can visit vif.org for all the information and also visit the footnotes for this episode uh, to find links to all sorts of stuff that we talked about today. So thank you very much, Jules. Thank you much. Thank you. The Why Bear Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Here Come All the Firmingers, Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger, Devlin for the original music. Why Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. You can find us on all the socials at Why Bear Screen Scene and at Sabrina Arf on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts for free and at our home on the web at yvrscreenscene.com. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hi friends, Kat Law Hayquist here and I'm excited to introduce you to thedramaclass.com. Thedramaclass.com provides online workshops and classes designed to provide inspiration and instruction in the sometimes overlooked areas you need to be successful in your acting career. Things that they don't often cover in studio classes. Things like tax prep for actors, the power of costume in getting a job, what to do if you primarily work on camera and find yourself with a voiceover audition, what you can do to adjust your performance to the camera lenses being used, and so much more. Maximize your opportunities by filling in the gaps that will make your craft your career. Visit us at thedramaclass.com, sign up for our newsletter, follow us on social, and explore what will take you to the next level.